come in, it's the Email Design Podcast. This is your home for all things email design, development, and marketing. We are your hosts. I'm Kevin Mandeville. And I'm Chase Rodriguez. We got a slightly different podcast coming up for you on today's edition. Jason, what are we doing for them? Yeah, not so much news, not so much industry events or anything that we're covering this week. Uh, but we're going to talk about kind of bring it back to basics and just have uh, an open discussion about some of the things that we feel like email designers might need to know going into 2018. Um, you know, kind of talk about some of the myths that are out there, talk about some of the techniques that are in play, some of the older techniques that are still being used, and just kind of talk about whether or not people need to pay attention to uh, some of these buzzwords, some of these different techniques, um, and just break things down. So the first kind of topic I wanted to introduce was just these coding techniques. Uh, there's been a couple of different coding techniques used over the years, uh, you know, traditional kind of responsive table-based design, hybrid design. Uh, more recently, you know, we've seen people experimenting with CSS grid or kind of table list design or table-free design design. Um, so I'm kind of curious, Kevin, what your opinion is on which of these techniques is best or like what do email designers really, really need to know going into the future of email design? Yeah. And so I actually I sort of had a, a I think it was episode 69. I talked yeah, a lot about yeah. do we still need to inline CSS or use tables? Um, and I guess this is kind of a follow up to that. But what I would say is when it comes to your foundational layout structure, regardless of where your audience is. So whether you have a heavy desktop or a heavy mobile audience, it actually doesn't matter. The best approach is to use a mobile first approach to where you have a fluid design by default. Yep. And then use media queries and other email client targeting hacks, Outlook table fallbacks to constrain for a desktop width. This makes your design the most adaptable it could possibly be. And in doing it this way, I actually use divs for our entire layout. And the only place I use tables are for Outlook, but those are fallbacks. So, I mean... I can't imagine I've been doing this for over a year now. I can't imagine having to go back to hand coding like tables for the actual structure. (laughs) We use it for Outlook as a fallback, but that's all you need. I mean, Outlook is about what? I mean, 5% of the general market share. And I know a lot of people who are listening are going to have larger audiences than that. But even if you have a 50% Outlook audience, it shouldn't really matter at the end of the day if you want to be able to move more towards a div-based structure to make it easier for you for maintainability and just developing in other clients faster. I think it's nice because you can start to decouple the Outlook rendering quirks and just sort of use that shadow layout for Outlook. Uh, And everything else can be this nice semantic markup. Yeah. So I think what you're talking about is that kind of hybrid approach. So you're using, in this case, using divs. Some people still use tables for uh, that kind of hybrid layout, but that's a little bit weird to do. Um, But yeah, it's just making those divs fluid by default and then using fixed widths for for, uh, Outlook, using those Microsoft conditional comments to just kind of comment out those tables so only Outlook sees it. Um, I kind of, I I totally agree with that opinion. You know, I I think that's what more and more people are using should be using um but the one kind of 
point where I feel like people still need to use that table-based traditional design is if they maybe don't have the development chops to implement hybrid or they're dealing with a lot of legacy email templates that are still purely table-based and they don't have the time to update that to something like hybrid or um, you know CSS grid or something more experimental like that. Do you think that's fair to say that you know traditional table-based design still has its place for those types of people? I think there's still a lot of work dealing with that type of structure now to make it work in mobile clients. So to me, I think there's a trade off, right? Um, To me, it's just so much easier to use divs by default, which have a display block property and inherently are fluid. It's so much easier to use that as your base as opposed to trying to make tables. I mean, and I know you can just make them 100 percent, but I don't know. To me, especially once you get into multiple column situations, it just becomes just as much of a hassle. So uh, that's why I really just prefer trying to use divs as much as possible and only worry about fixing Outlook after the fact with conditionals. Yeah, I guess that makes sense for sure. Um, I guess I my, my concern is like teams that don't have like that knowledge or that expertise to be be able to update their things to use that kind of hybrid approach or div based approach. Um, but it seems like, yeah, that's where we're moving is that people need to do hybrid mobile first design. Um, you know, we've seen even though mobile market share has dropped a little bit over the past year, um, it's still around what 47, 48 percent. So people need to take that into account. Yeah, and it's, it's gonna, still effectively half. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I feel like that's that's something that's liable to increase moving forward anyways. You know, it's it might have been a dip this year, but I wouldn't be surprised if it kept increasing over the next couple of years or so. So maybe that's that's the case is hybrid and based approach is like the foundational thing that email designers need to start doing. Um, I feel like that's kind of like an education thing too. A lot of people still don't know how to do it um, or haven't been exposed to it yet. And they're still just kind of relying on those legacy templates that use uh, table-based design. So maybe there's more work to be done on our end. Um, and, you know, through the email community and email geek Slack channel and stuff like that, just try to educate everybody about it. Um, yeah. But the one thing... Sorry, go ahead. (laughs) You go ahead. Uh, Well, I was going to say, you know, the one thing that I like about that div based approach and just using those uh, ghost tables for Outlook is that it really cleans up the code and makes it a lot easier to maintain. Um, And then it's nice, too, when we start talking about accessibility, which is kind of our next topic here we're going to dig into. It makes it a little bit easier to not have to worry so much about canceling out those tables with like ARIA roles, remembering to do that. Um, And it just makes a lot more accessible email which is awesome to see. Yeah. I, and I think the thing about it is, you know, should Outlook ever fix the word rendering engine, you can just remove those comments. So yeah, it's a very future awesome. forward approach to email yep. too, in that sense. And I think a lot of people don't realize that Outlook desktop, the windows. So 2007 to 2016, and then windows 10 mail, those are the only clients that use the word rendering engine and require a table based layout. Yep. All the other clients don't require tables. You can use divs just fine. Not a lot of people even realize that. So I'd say that I think just quickly, just to denote, I mean, you mentioned table list. We've actually been using the table list technique in our past three monthly newsletters mm-hmm. for litmus. Um, it can work for your one column designs. It's not as flexible for Outlook. There are yeah. some drawbacks. Uh, haven't cracked the multi-column layout situation yep. with that yet. Uh, and it's really hard even just in the one column approach to control like spacing and whatnot. Yeah. So it's not as ideal as it would be. That's definitely not ready for prime time at all. But 
maybe really simple one column layouts, transactional messages, it might be a good fit. Um, and then I guess just the Fab Four. Fab Four, the need for it has gone away with the introduction of Gmail media query support. Mm-hmm. And so the for those who don't know about the Fab Four technique created by Remy Parmentier, the key benefit to that is that it doesn't need media queries to do restacking. Uh, and it, it because container queries don't exist in CSS, it gives you a nice method of doing that for things like Gmail, Outlook.com. But again, most clients support media queries now, so that hasn't really taken off or been as, as big of a deal it was in the past, yeah. is, is what I would say. So, yeah, so let's jump into accessibility that you mentioned. So, you know, using these table-based layout structures, like you mentioned, actually comes with the trade-off of accessibility, right? Yep. Tables are inherently meant for tabular data. They're not meant for layout design at all, but this is the way that email has gone. And so when you get into trying to use semantic elements of headings, paragraphs, uh, text, uh, and, and then images, and how all of those fit together, I mean, what do you think are, are some of the key considerations when it comes to what people need to know for accessibility today yeah, and so, what are the best practices. So I think there's there's two things. One, if you are still using tables or even if you're using those ghost tables and Outlook sees those, you need to have the ARIA role of presentation on those tables so that it doesn't pick those up and read them out to people using screen readers. Um, I feel like that's something that fortunately has spread almost like wildfire through the email community and most people seem to be picking up on including that, which is awesome. Um, then the other one is just using semantics. So using proper H1, H2, those heading level tags, using paragraph tags. Uh, if you're you know, emphasizing something, use an emphasis tag, things like that, that add that extra semantic value. Um, so that makes it easier, especially in the, on the heading level, to make it uh, better navigation for people using screen readers. If for some reason your styles don't load, they still have some default styling that the client or the web browser will apply. Um, I think those are two like core elements that I see more and more emails using, but not enough people using it yet. Um, But I think the other big one is just using more live HTML text um, as opposed to text contained with images. So having that good balance between text and images, um, I feel like that used to be a concern from, you know, a deliverability standpoint. Uh, If you were using like all image based emails, you might be marked as spam, but that's definitely not the case any longer um, because you have giant retailers still using all image based emails. But when it comes to accessibility, uh, those emails with images, those images are oftentimes blocked. Um, they might be slow to download on mobile connections. So that message isn't really being seen by people. Um, and God forbid there's somebody using a screen reader on an all image based email and it might pick up a little bit of alternative text on that image, um, but they're going to lose, lose the entire context of that, that email itself. Um, so I think that's a big one that I'd love to see more people take to heart is more text and fewer images or like a good balance between the two and something i feel like not enough people take advantage of our background images which we actually wrote about on the limits blog recently um, because that allows you to have live html text good bulletproof buttons things like that on top of images the same way that you would uh you know design those in using something like photoshop and an all image based email uh but you get the advantage of having that live html text be because it lives on top of that background image and background images are fairly flexible. You can do some cool kind of design choreography with them too across desktop and mobile. Um, so I think those three things, those ARIA roles, 
uh, using semantic elements and then having a good balance between text and images and then ideally using background images so that you maintain that text in your email campaign. Yeah, I agree. And I think I, I probably haven't helped the cause with uh, my phrase TD or GTFO, yeah. <laughs> get to fixing outlook in terms of encouraging people to put everything in table cells. But I think that's a really good beginner tip if you're struggling with getting sort of a bulletproof layout. But there's absolutely no reason, even if you're using tables, that you shouldn't be using semantic elements yep. of headings, paragraph tags inside of tables. You're, nothing's going to go wrong anymore. There's less default webmail styling than there used to be yep. for a lot of this as well. Uh, so and this is one of those things I encourage people go take a look at those old resets you have in your CSS. Yeah. A lot of them don't really exist anymore or are needed. Um, so you could probably streamline your code a bit there too, but yeah, I agree. And then, you know, the, the whole, uh, text versus images, it's like your brand is not that important to have to need yeah. to use images yeah. all the time. In some cases it can be helpful, but especially if you're impacting like your main call to action buttons or key headlines, it's, it's really not worth it. It's okay if there's a fallback and not everybody sees your your brand font. I mean, we've been into that argument so many times before, but um, yeah, I mean, those are those are really the big things. And uh, again, moving away from a table-based layout will help you develop more semantic emails that can be read by these screen readers and such. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we're going to take a quick break uh, before we dive back into talking about kind of the basic foundational stuff email designers need to know. Just reminding you to check out all of our episodes of the Email Design Podcast. You can go to emaildesignpodcast.com. Uh, check out all of the different episodes, all the show notes, links to pretty much everything we talk about. Um, you can also follow along on Twitter using the hashtag email design podcast and then subscribe to the podcast via SoundCloud, iTunes or YouTube where we post all of our shows. Uh, definitely a lot of a lot of good stuff back in our back catalog. We're inching up to 100 episodes here. So we've been doing this for, what, a couple years now. So a lot of a lot of good stuff to dig through. And then the nice thing about email is that a lot of it's still evergreen. Uh, it doesn't the industry doesn't change that quickly. So even those old episodes are still pretty valid today, which is cool to see. Um, and we're going to you know, suggest you to uh, try out Litmus, our sponsor. They're good enough to host this show, uh, allow us to do this and talk about email every week with you guys. Uh, so definitely check out Litmus at Litmus.com. You can take Litmus for a 14 day free trial, uh, kick the tires on, you know, email previews, which allows you to test out all of your emails in close to 100 different email clients. Uh, you can use Litmus Builder, which is a kind of bespoke code editor for email designers, has lots of great features to improve improve your workflow. Uh, you can try out analytics, all of that good stuff, get access to the Litmus community, which we talk about frequently on the podcast. Just go to Litmus.com slash gift card and use the coupon code podcast for a 14 day free trial. So getting back into it, Kevin, I feel like kind of going hand in hand with accessibility is something that I feel like a lot of maybe like retail brands and uh, tech companies, they get this right. But people outside of those two industries kind of get a lot of this wrong. And this is just kind of core visual design principles. So things like hierarchy, layout structure, uh, even contrast, like color contrast, um, all that kind of stuff that goes into the actual visual design. What are what do you think are some of the key things that people need to keep in mind from a visual standpoint when they're designing these emails? Where can they go wrong and how can they fix those moving forward? 
I think when you start to think about the design strategy, you need to have a singular action in mind that you want users to take when they open the email. So you can have multiple messages going on, but you need to make sure there is a very clear key action you want people to take. And so you need to design around that and design your email around that. Uh, And so typically, yeah, I mean, typically a common email, you're going to see some type of headline, some subtext and a call to action and whether there's any other type of assets along with it, whether that's an image or imagery of some kind, you know, and and then you want to make sure that that's clear, that's prominent, right? And that's at the top of your email. Um, And then you want to design the rest of the content you want to include as secondary messages to be appropriate along with that. So you probably want your core action to be more highlighted, stand out more, and the rest be more subdued, uh, not be as big necessarily all the time. Um, And so that's kind of, if I had to you know, say step one, that's what people need to think about. Is that simplicity? I totally agree. I feel like this is where a lot of emails go wrong is trying to include too much in that email by can, you know, it's really confusing your subscribers because if you have too much, if you have multiple CTAs, um, it's really confusing. A lot of subscribers don't know what's the most important thing, what they should be clicking on. And I feel like every email needs that goal has some goal in mind and that should be the main focus and a lot of times the only focus of that email campaign Um, but i really like that hierarchy too you know you need to think about simplifying that email using hierarchy really effectively so that people know exactly what you want them to do and you know having that big headline having a little bit of supporting copy and then a big bold button or something like that for your cta is really really good um i definitely think going that that plays in accessibility too is having big enough text and like a strong enough hierarchy so that people with low vision uh that don't use a screen reader but they might have vision problems can still scan that email really easily and understand what's going on um and right along with that too is i feel like like more emails need to take in color contrast and especially like text contrast on the background colors into consideration because if they don't do that then a lot of users might not be able to understand that message or read it properly uh, which usually sucks i would say too you know just yeah simplicity is like an overall theme that i love to see more emails take into account um, simplifying the content simplifying the layout uh, getting away from like really complex multi-column layouts where it's not necessarily needed those things are all really, really important. Uh, one thing we're going to get into is some of these like myths of email design and uh, stuff that people talk about and might not necessarily be true. But I think the, like one of the main ones that goes right along with these design principles and what you talked about, Kevin, kind of simplifying the email is this idea of the fold. Um, this is something that's come up all the time, whether or not there's this fold in email and web design, uh, especially on mobile and how important it is to dump like your most important messaging up top, uh, whether or not people actually scroll. So what's your opinion, Kevin? Do you think there is a fold? And I mean, you kind of mentioned that earlier as you need that most important stuff up front, which I agree with, but how important is the fold and does it actually exist? Does it exist? Yes and no. Um, that's I'm not I'm not it's completely in either camp per se, which is kind of a weird take to have. Yeah, I think it's important to have that important action up front because of the so-called fold. But at the same time, yeah. users do scroll. Like if users are engaged and they open the email and they have a history of doing so, like users do scroll. So I it's it's almost like you can't be afraid to add more content or push content down as long as you're yeah. 
properly prioritizing things. But I think it is important to put that key action first. But don't be afraid. Users, users scroll, uh, especially on mobile and responsive design being as uh, prolific as it is today. And especially with just the device fragmentation. I mean, it's really impossible to sort of have, okay, we're going to have a desktop view and a mobile view. It's everything's very fluid, right? There's thousands of different yeah. device views you could possibly have and container views within clients. So um, I think it's, yeah, as long as you prioritize it and actually just one little quick tip before I forget. And we kind of talk more about the fold and such. Uh, one thing I would say around the simplicity of your email, tr- try to look at your computer screen and step back like five or 10 feet and see what stands sure. out to you. Or, or if you wanted to like zoom out in your browser and see le- if you can guess where the email is trying to direct you or, or try to grab a coworker or your grandmother or somebody who <laughs> wouldn't know something about it and just see what they say. That could be a cool little test to do. Um, but yeah, the full yes and no, I think. Yeah, uh, right along with that tip, I actually heard something really good. It was uh, on a podcast with uh, a woman named Jocelyn, Jocelyn K. Gly, uh, who writes a lot about like minimalism and simplifying things and email, too. Uh, but she mentioned when writing an email, so many people compose emails on desktop computers or laptops. Uh, and especially in like the marketing world, you know, we're working in Google Docs, we're drafting stuff right there. And you have the tendency to fill the page that you're writing in. Mm. Um, so your copy tends to be kind of long. So a nice way to test copy is to just copy and paste that into like a plain text email and send it to yourself. Look at it on your phone. If there's way too much copy and you're going to be scrolling and shit, then that's going to be a terrible email because nobody's going to read all that copy. So it kind of forces you to look at it on that mobile view on that smaller screen and really cut, cut a lot of that away. A lot of that cruft, um, which I thought was a great tip too, that a lot of copywriters markers could start yeah. using. That's a great tip. We don't want to be pen pals. We want to get to the yeah, point. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, as far as the fold, you know, yeah, I'm, I kind of agree. I I don't think there's a hard fold. Um, this was something that came up and there was a, an article on a fairly prominent web design uh, publication talking about programming an email and referenced the fold a lot of times and talked about how your email shouldn't be greater than like six folds or something. I, I don't agree with that kind of hardline stance that there is a specific fold. There's a uh, max height on how many folds you can get into an email. Um, Cause I think people are going to definitely scroll. They'll look at your content later down. Um, but I think it's, it's more a question of attention. You want their attention uh, on your most important part of the email, your most important call to action right off the bat because that's what they're going to look at very first so that's where the fold kind of comes into play you want to top load the most important thing up front your email but then don't be afraid of scrolling because people absolutely scroll on mobile and they're used to doing that it's it's you know your thumb just naturally does that on a screen uh so i wouldn't worry about the fold too much there Uh, but this gets into you know other email myths there's a lot of myths out there in the email world um but you know in 2018 going forward what are some of the things that we can kind of you know put to bed not worry about anymore as far as myths go things like i think one of the main ones that i saw in that article in particular and come up comes up in the community and email geek slack from time to time is what width should my email be is there uh, set in stone with that we need to worry about these days, Kevin. So this I am much more opinionated on. And no, there is no set width. I can't stand the your email needs to be 600 pixels. That is such a myth. Uh, so stop saying that if you're saying that or if anybody else is saying that, point them to me. Um, <laughs> but 
I mean, especially if you reference to what I recommended earlier, doing a mobile first approach to where your design is fluid by default. Yep. That means you can scale up your design to whatever size that you want it to be. Now, obviously, you're going to want to constrain it at some point, but we typically do, I would say at this point, we scale our designs up to 1,200 to 1,800 pixels for our litmus emails now, depending on the design and what we want to do. Uh, So don't limit yourself to these really tiny columns. Now, obviously, you want to support those views and sort of be fluid to obviously render correctly for those subscribers. But don't let that limit the experience for users who have more real estate. If you have more real estate, you can make a more impactful design, create a better experience, in my opinion, if you utilize that. If you aren't, you're, you're missing out on a on a big part of it. Yeah, I feel like this is something that has been talked about a lot in the web design world, but not so much in the email design world as they in web design. Yeah, there's so many different devices and device sizes for a long time. A lot of people were using specific device breakpoints to manipulate their designs across those devices. Um, So those were so keyed into those device sizes that as new devices were released, they're just dumping out more and more breakpoints. Um, but then they, a lot of people were fighting back against that. And, you know, it's the kind of mantra that you shouldn't let the device dictate your design. You should let the design and the content dictate how it responds to that device. Um, so I totally agree. Fluid all the way is the way to go. And then just look at your design. And if you see something breaking, if you see line lengths getting too long, if you see images kind of decoupling from headlines or something like that, that's where you put that breakpoint in or that's where you do something on the code side to adjust that or constrain the widths. And don't just make it, you know, this is 600 pixels, this is 800 pixels, so this is what we're going to do. Let the design actually dictate what it should look like. Let the content dictate that. Um, I totally agree that, yeah, this email width thing is kind of too persistent. I've definitely been, uh, you know, somebody in the past that has said, oh, yeah, you know, 600 pixels, 800 pixels wide for most people is fine. But I'm trying to get out of that habit, too. Um, And I think a lot of people need to get out of that habit. What are some other myths that people talk about uh, in the email design world that we could probably break these days, Kevin? Uh, Attribute selectors is an old myth. You don't need those anymore. Gmail uh, doesn't support them, actually. So it's actually detrimental if you're using attribute selectors in your CSS. It used to be an old hack that you needed for Yahoo Mail. No longer needed. So stop doing that. Just write regular class and ID names and email. It works. Support it everywhere. Yeah, I like that one a lot, especially helps when people are coming from the web design world and don't necessarily use those that often. uh, So we don't have to teach them about it or why they would be using those in the first place. Um, So that makes it easier for all of us and definitely makes it easier to read and maintain moving forward. How about video and email? Where do you stand on video and email these days? I mean, it really only has a mobile application in my opinion right now. Uh, So, well, let let me say this. Primarily, for most people, it will just be a mobile application. You can do a background video on Apple Mail and Outlook for Mac, but unfortunately, the controls for HTML5 video are broken in those environments. So if you can't do an if you don't have a a very good use case for auto playing video, of which I would say the majority of use cases are not going to be that then the only application is to target iOS 10 and above to display your video where it's supported. Um, But it's not on sort of the previous versions. um, And for all intents and purposes, those are 
you know, deprecated and most people are on iOS 10 and above now. So uh, what I would say is if you have a strong mobile audience or a good use case for engaging video there somehow, that could be a good use case. But otherwise, unfortunately, just there's a really a really la- a big lack of support right now for HTML5 video. Yeah, I feel like this is one of those things I I like pushing back on is I feel like video and email has always been one of the holy grails, like something that people are always searching for and trying to get support for. But my I would definitely question that mentality. Like, why do you want a video to play in an email? Like you said, I feel like most people don't have a good use case for it. Uh, and it's really hard to think of like a really solid use case for playing a video inside of an email because the whole point of using an email is to get somebody to take some action and that's typically going to your website going to an article going somewhere else outside of the email so if you have you know a video playing in the email just keeping them there longer and then what's the follow-up to that what can they do inside of the email apart from that um so i would say you know rethink whether or not you actually want a video in an email chances are you want them to watch that video somewhere else, like on your website where you can better follow up, uh, you know, have better CTAs, better information supporting that video, um, get them trying your product, all that kind of stuff. So I think at this point, I would just, if somebody says, I want a video and email, I'd say, why? And then I'd say, you know, why don't you just do a screenshot of the video with the play button? And then they click on that and it takes you to a landing page and they can watch the video there where you can better see what they're doing and encourage them to do other things inside of your app or on your store or whatever, you know? Um, so I feel like video and email, it's, I, it never made sense to me that that's one of those holy grails that people are constantly trying to get working in email because I feel like the strategy is just not there. Yeah, the lack of analytics and reporting from playing the video is what really yeah. hurts it, in my opinion. But, I mean, we've done a hybrid approach. I mean, obviously, for our yeah. conference yeah. email in 2014, we had a good auto-playing without sound experience. Yep. And we've used that for feature launches, too, where we have auto-playing video and you click over, it says... When you hover over, it says, you know, click for sound. There's like hybrid things you could do there. And at the end of the day, video is mostly a technique of motion. So there could be other ways to use animated GIFs, use CSS animation to achieve some type of preview inside of the email that you could lead to the landing page, which could sort of create that uh, enticing factor that people are trying to create, you know? (laughs) Yeah, I think that's what it is. It's more it works well as like a design element, like the background video for the conference email is beautiful because it created a sense of movement, but it wasn't like the main focus. It's it's not you're not just sitting there watching the video for five minutes in your inbox, you know, um, but that sense of motion, I, I agree, is there's much better ways to do that using animated GIFs or CSS animations. And I really like, you know, one of my all time favorite emails, Kevin, that you built was that builder uh, launch email where we had this interactive animated uh, product kind of trial experience right in the inbox. So that was really good at using animation interactivity to create that sense of movement and giving people a way to get their hands on the product before they actually sign up for the product or start using it in their web browser. But then that always ends and that follow-up action is, you know, you go through those steps, then it says, like, start using Builder now. And then that dumps you over to your Builder uh, instance and you can start using it there. I think that was a great way to go about using animation and movement outside of just using video or an animated GIF, which was awesome. One last myth I want to touch on just because I can't sort of preach this enough is that uh, I don't know that we need inline CSS anymore. So yeah. about 99% of the total general market share supports embedded CSS after the Gmail update. And so Outlook 
even the word rendering outlook, it supports embedded CSS. Gmail supports it now. I get there's a few edge cases here and there, like Yahoo app on Android and whatnot, but the the overwhelming majority of the market supports it. And I don't understand why people continue to do it or need to do it. Uh, the, the unfortunate thing is we still do it. So it sounds sort of hypocritical hypocritical, but it's really just a workflow limitation to where we use uh, partials and we need to inline to essentially minify everything to fit into Gmail. Uh, if we if we built out minification uh, into Builder, we could we would stop doing it like right away. Um, so I, I that's just like a big thing for me is I don't understand why people continue to do that, especially by hand. It's creating all this extra work that's really not needed or doesn't have a big, huge potential upside. And I don't think falling back to a plain text like experience is a bad one at all. So I know we did that. I think, God, it was, I think it was the first newsletter of last year now. Um, yeah. Check it out. We wrote about it on the Litmus community over what that experience can, can sort of look like. But uh, I, I recommend people just try running an email through previews with uh, without inline CSS and you'll see it's supported pretty much everywhere. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, That's something I'm actually working on a blog post for the Litmus blog right now talking about whether or not people need to inline uh, CSS anymore. And spoiler alert, probably not. Uh, like you said, boy, I, I totally agree. That's something that people should test out. And it's just one of those things. I feel like everybody in the email world just needs to get comfortable with uh, the idea that your emails don't have to look same across all these different email clients. Uh, if something isn't supported and you just get that kind of plain text like experience in an email, then that's absolutely fine because you're not going to have subscribers looking at your email and all these different email clients to see what went wrong. Uh, so chances are they're never going to call you out on it. So don't worry about Unless it. Unless you're Litmus. Unless you're <laughs> Litmus. That's absolutely true. There's a handful of companies that, yeah, we get that kind of <laughs> that, that magnifying glass on our emails. Um, so we're definitely a different use case, but I totally agree with that. Uh, so I want to round, round up this episode with uh, our email of the week, which I think is a great example of somebody doing an email that kind of hits on all of these different things. Uh, you know, from a design standpoint, it has a really great design. It has good hierarchy, it has good visuals. Uh, it's almost entirely like live HTML text. Um, it doesn't inline the majority of its CSS. Uh, it breaks this width myth massively. And that is the email weekly newsletter. So the the one that we're going to be looking at in this episode is number 174, a uh, recent newsletter where, you know, this is just they round up all of these different articles from the email world uh, and just expose them to subscribers. But they have a lot of cool things going on in here that I feel like this is a really good example of what a modern email should uh, what kind of approach it might need to take here. Um, so it does use some experimental code. Uh, it you know, uses like a div-based design. Um, it actually uses really good semantics. They have each of these articles marked up as an article tag, uh, which is really helpful for people using screen readers. Then they have heading tags. They have paragraph tags. Uh, so really nice and accessible it uses, you know, live HTML text on background images. So almost all the images in the email are background images. Um, so you don't lose any real context if those things aren't supported because uh, all that text is still there. And then it scales up 
huge like this goes really really wide um so if you start on mobile then it's essentially a single column layout and then as you add width then these different blocks in the email just kind of start shifting over into this nice grid layout um so i think this is just a great example of what we could be doing in email if we didn't you know if we rethought the foundations that we should be using and then if we kind of revisited some of these myths or some of these preconceptions we have about email design and started testing those things out yep i agree and i know we plug it a lot but it deserves plugging and yeah this is you're right this kind of hits home on a lot of the things we we're talking about today and obviously for me the ones that i love are the fact that uh, it is breaking that width barrier and that they don't care that the design looks differently in different email yeah. clients right and so they obviously probably know they don't have a huge Outlook audience, or that's not who they're catering to necessarily with their, you know, email geeks type of audience, right? So the fact that the fallback for this in Outlook is just sort of a one column, you know, list view layout, I think is totally fine. So I think it's, I think it's totally cool to, to have different designs for different email clients, uh, especially if one isn't as important to you. Right. Yep. And I think people need to make those decisions based on their sort of audience usage of it. So, and then, yeah, to add, you know, the experimental CSS grid on top of it, everything semantic, like this really embodies trying to push innovation in email. Want to wrap it with that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I didn't have any follow up to that. That's cool. <laughs> All right. That's going to do it for this edition of the email design podcast. Reminder, email All the show notes, links, past episodes. It's all right there. Subscribe on SoundCloud, YouTube, and iTunes. Tweet along with the hashtag email design podcast. And don't forget a free 14 day trial of Limits. Go to Limits.com slash gift card, coupon code podcast. And hey, Limits Live conference tickets are on sale. Limits.com slash conference. Early birds are like already sold out. They flew off the shelf. So make sure you get some tickets. It's coming out this fall. London, San Fran, Boston. Check it.